Amber. Hi, Vicky. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So you are um, an author, songwriter, musician, producer, public speaker, and you're also a transgender woman. Yeah, I sort um, of like to like get in, get my paws into everything, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> well, I also list. worked in higher education as a as a as an instructor as well. I mean, I've I've been all around. Uh, you know, I even worked in the IT industry and you know all sorts of things. I mean, it was. I, I guess you call it occupational ADD, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've had a long and varied career by sounds of it. So you live over in the U.S. in uh, Florida, Tampa area. Yeah, I'm currently living in Tampa. Um, I've been living here for about nine years now. Um, I wanted to live next to the ocean my whole life. And moving to the Tampa area afforded me the ability to move to this. If you ever get a chance, look it up on a map. Honeymoon Honeymoon Island, which is just to the west on the Gulf. It's just so this is the, the panhandle, the Florida panhandle, isn't it? It's yeah, it's that panhandle, Which is yeah. the northeast corner of the, the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, actually, no, it's not the panhandle. So it's 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 South it's Florida. Okay. It's it's if if you go down Florida halfway, we're considered South Florida, but it's really central. But um, you go down Florida halfway, and we are on the west coast of Florida, right where the Gulf of Mexico is. It's kind of up in the corner, isn't it, of um, Florida? No, we're we're yeah, down in the think? center of that long. Oh, it's in the center. I'm thinking that of some long city thing. up there in the corner. I can't remember the name of now. Um, th- there's Pensacola, Pensacola way up there, and yeah, yeah. all in Tallahassee. Tallahassee. And all those, yeah, I'm we're thinking. nowhere near any of that stuff. Um, yeah, well, believe it or not, I used to live in Florida, even though my geography sounds terrible. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, um, I lived in um, Hollywood, Florida, on the sure, you know, just north of Miami times. for about nine years. Wow. I, was, I was working down there for a, an aircraft seating company. Yeah, so I mean, Florida is a—it's a beautiful state. I mean, it has some crazy weather sometimes. It, it has crazy weather, and it has a lot of um, transient people—people people that come in and out. Yeah, you know, there's this saying in the United States: you know, a Florida man stole a car, or a Florida man overdosed on drugs, or a Florida man did this or that. There's so there's this meme that goes around. Um, about a Florida man, because, yeah. you know, in, in Florida, you know, they seem to pick on Florida for that sort of thing, because people sort of come to Florida to avoid other things going on in their life. Whereas I came to, I just want to be by the water and transition in peace, because I mean, it's of where the, I really came from. It's a beautiful coastline. I mean, I, I remember going over West Coast from, you know, if you head out from Miami over to the West through the Everglades. I mean, that coast there, it's, it's amazingly, you know, you've got dolphins jumping in the Gulf and all that. It's, it's really And that's why amazing. I moved to yeah. um, Honeymoon Island uh, right. because I moved, you know, I, I lived in upstate New York uh, for a while, but we'll get into that in a second. But moving to Honeymoon Island, I could sit, I could take a few steps, put out a, a chair and watch 14 to 20 dolphins playing yeah. and jumping around uh, right in front of me, you know, uh, in, in the water right there. And it was just lovely Incredible. to be able to do that. Yeah. So you, you were originally from upstate New York um, uh, from a, I don't know how big 
Liberty is. I guess it's a kind of small place up in the the Cat uh, Catskill Mountain area. Yeah, the Catskill Mountains. Liberty. Um, the, the the joke I've used my whole life was, Liberty has more deer than it has people. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we were really small, and what's interesting about Liberty is is Liberty and the whole Sullivan County area is actually what the movie Dirty Dancing was based upon. Oh, really? The the hotels that were in our our area. We were known as the Borscht Belt. Do you know what Borscht Belt means? Borscht Belt? No, I don't. So it was the Jewish vacation capital um, for Jewish people in the 1950s and 60s and so on. And in the heyday, there were hundreds of hotels and, and, and like sprawling, beautiful hotels and bungalows and all sorts of things. Um, there's this show called The Marvelous Miss Maisel. That's I've on heard of Netflix. that. Yeah, Netflix. Wonderful yeah. movie. I mean, uh, series. And in the series, I think it's the second or third season, they end up in the Catskills, right where I lived, at one of the hotels. They, they sort of reconstructed this whole thing. And um, so there was a lot of activity. You know, people like Jerry Lewis, uh, Sid Caesar. Joan Rivers, Buddy Hatkett, you know, all these big time people, Frank Sinatra. So a lot of comedians and and actors and actresses actually made their start in the Catskill Mountains, right? Where unfortunately all that stuff was dead by the time I was, by the time I was born, it was all gone. It was, it was disappearing. And the only thing left was, yeah, that's the area that we're going to build the movie Dirty Dancing upon. And, so this um, would have been um, people coming from New York on vacation, would it? And because it's yeah, they mostly place, came from Brooklyn and Queens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So how how far is it from New York? In we are driving terms. about an hour and a half northwest of New York City. Yes, yeah, so it's fairly close. If you remember 1969, that's also where the Woodstock. Uh, oh, yeah. A concert was held and that was in a, a town named Bethel which is about 10 miles away from where I lived well so I was so right quite around a, quite a famous place and <laughs> it was quite too small size growing up growing up there um was 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 kind of like feeling isolated like you you lived you know a million miles away from everyone else because it was so isolated and small and even though Woodstock was there when the people weren't there, there was a half a million people there. But when they leave, now the cows outnumber the people, just like the deer do. I mean, there's nobody there other than, you know, they had a show, everyone left, there's nobody left. You, so they kind of decline at some point? No, it's just, you know, they happen to want to have the concert, strangely enough, in this field um, that was owned by Max Yasker. And... um. <laughs> Interestingly enough, they have the concert. It was it's world famous, but the number of people that actually live full time in that county—forget about the towns, but the county alone—is um, so small you couldn't even call the entire county a city. It's just so small. the 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 numbers of people we have towns that have less than three hundred people in it. Um, so, my town was about at the time four thousand. Um, people in the town yeah. and <laughs> it's it's really not a lot of people when you think about it 
I live in a I live in a city now with three and a half million people. Yeah, and, uh, you know, American standards four thousand is nothing, is it? It's it's like a, it's like a village. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and you know they they talk about Woodstock all the time, but they don't realize that the culture, the people that I grew up with. I was born in nineteen sixty eight, and nineteen sixty nine was Woodstock, and the entire time I grew up, it was a it was an area in decline. There was no real job jobs to be had there. Um, there, there was a lot of folks trying to open up their own businesses and not really succeeding. There just wasn't enough foot traffic. And you know, I the one thing that I've seen, um, and nothing against the area because I love I love Sullivan County with all my heart. It's still home to me, um, but it has its share of issues that they're trying to overcome and maybe perhaps. Yeah one day soon they'll be able to overcome them all but there was this one mall and there was a shopping center in it and it was called Sullivan's and when it went out of business in the 70s or early 80s it was left vacant so they transformed that whole thing into a strip mall and you know for the past 30 years they haven't even been able to fill that strip mall up with viable businesses well so I moved to Florida and three years ago, there was a uh, huge road with, with nothing but cow pastures as far as the eye could see. And you'd say, Florida, wow, Florida is pretty packed with people. But where I, where I was living just, just, just north of Tampa, there was this huge empty lot of land you know, that went on for two and a half miles. Within three years, it has become the busiest intersection in central Florida, even outnumbering parts of Disney World because yeah, they built so many outlet malls and, you know, you name the restaurant, it's there. You name yeah. the entertainment venue, it's there. They had 52,000 people move to that township in one year. Yeah, Think it's amazing that. how they've been doing construction in, in Florida. I, I used to live down in Hollywood, Florida. And, you know, it's, it's constantly encroaching on the Everglades more and more each year. They're continuously building, you know, on the the um, the turnpike. It's kind yeah. of the boundary, but they're still kind of moving north into the, you know, what is just kind of wasteland, really. Yeah, and that's the one thing I can't yeah. get used to here is the people. I mean, I've lived in New York. I had an apartment in Nashville when I was in the music business. I you know, I did a stint in Hollywood. Um, so there's a, there's a list of places that I, I, I had, you know, visited over and over and over and over again um, during during my work with, with that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I got to see the, the United States for all that it's worth, um, you know, by working with these various artists and, and traveling around the country and got to see this beautiful country. It's really a beautiful country. Um, but you know, living in diverse places like I've done really showed me that, wow, here we are, America, still, you know, after four years of, of a real, you know, horrible situation with our, our outgoing yes. president. We won't talk about him. We won't talk about him, please. But, you know, it just shows you that we have a lot of things to overcome in this country. Yeah. And um, me seeing you know, from, from sea to shining sea, so to speak, 
is interesting because you get to see the diversity that really does exist. Yeah, I mean, it's a hugely diverse country. I've, I've lived in Seattle and Miami. And, you know, the contrast just between those two cities is, is quite quite amazing oh you know? it's striking yeah yeah both beautiful places and, absolutely um, yeah. i love i love seattle so, yeah. yeah amazing place yeah mm -hmm. it's very different to miami because you have a lot of you know south american people moving into miami and it's a completely different cultural experience it's, yeah south american yeah uh, puerto rican cuban yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it there's there's just a whole different vibe down there i've, I've there spent is. some time in in miami not my favorite city in the world. Oh, it's a crazy place. It really is. Um, but, but you know what? I had some fun. Uh, I definitely had some fun. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those places where it's great to go for holiday, but it's not so great if you live there. <laughs> oh, no. I wouldn't want to live there. No. no. Yeah. It's a bit strange. So do you still have ties to Liberty? Is our family living there? I have a sister that lives there still. She's uh, owned her own beauty salon for her entire adult life and it's a very successful business and she's become quite a staple in in that area and she's basically gonna live there until until she can retire and yeah. she she purchased a place down here in florida she owns a condo down here in florida mm -hmm. and it's right on the ocean um well very close to the ocean and she plans on you know, living down here uh, at some point, uh, when that is, that's up to her. You know. Yeah, a lot of people do, you know, the snowbird thing, don't they, where they, they spend the winter down in Florida and then move back up to New York State. It is interesting. They do, they do. In a lot of the places in Florida, you know, there's specific towns like yeah. Boca Raton, yeah, which is Boca. sort of down by Hollywood, right? And yeah, it's just north of Hollywood, yeah. They end up... Uh, coming down and, and and back up again whereas yeah. here in tampa we're sort of a full-time business community we have a lot of young people because right across the bay is saint petersburg which yeah. happens to be the most trans-friendly place in the united states oh. uh, not the most but um one of the top three for sure um top three transgender uh lgbtq friendly places uh, in the united states well, that's, and, that's good to have on your doorstep. Oh, it's wonderful. And I remember that, you know, I never, it's interesting, you know, I, from the age of four, I knew I was different. I knew I wasn't a boy at, at four. I, I, I knew I was a girl. I didn't feel like a girl. I didn't, I didn't know what the word feel really meant um, at that age. And I didn't know anatomy. So I didn't know the difference between my sister and me, but I knew the way they were treating me was incorrect. So my sister got to grow her hair out, but for some strange reason, I wasn't allowed to. She got to join ballet. And for some strange reason, I wasn't allowed to. I was getting crew cuts. Ew, why? I had to, you know, I was, I was given Tonka trucks and, and soldiers and all sorts of things for Christmas. And my sister had these cute dolls and dollhouses and, and these easy bake ovens and stuff. And she had this gorgeous canopy bed in her room. It's in my book. I described this beautiful canopy bed and something called Holly Hobby, which was in the 1970s, like a big, this big thing. It was this little rag doll that, that had this huge bonnet on her head. And she had her room, you know, 
wallpapered with Holly Hobby on the wall. And I used to spend all of my childhood memories in her room when she wasn't in there, <laughs> just, you know, and acting like that canopy bed was my bed and that the, 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 the dolls that she had were my dolls and, and wishing that I had the gorgeous long blonde hair that these dolls had on their heads. You know, the doll was luckier than me back then. Right? So we, when you were, when you were a, ch- a child, I guess is when you were four, that kind of re- age, were, were you kind of forced to, to be the boy? I mean, did your parents kind of. I don't think I would call it forced. That? I would call it more like, they they knew they knew in their hearts that I was a boy, and you know back then gender stereotypes were very rigid, and I was just their little boy. There was no malicious intent or force of it. There was just girls play with dolls, boys play with trucks and and soldiers, and boys go outside and play football. Girls go and and you know sit and have yeah. girl time and girl talk and blah blah blah, and you know, most of my childhood was spent doing both of those things, to be, to be honest. Would you, would you say you had a happy childhood? Was it? I had an enormously happy childhood oh, filled good. with a dichotomy of horrible things that happened to me when I was four years old. So there's something in the book that I described to people to try to, my book is not just for transgender people. It's for the cisgender community so they yeah. can understand who we really are through the lens of one woman's journey so i mean just just for the listeners i mean the book you're writing is called uh, hiding from myself and i believe yes. you wrote this last year is that correct i wrote it uh, it was released in late october of 2020 and it's called hiding from myself my complicated rebirth into womanhood in my own skin and it was uh published through ultimate world publishing in victoria australia and by the time December rolled around, I'm so humbled. It went to number six uh, on the bestsellers list yeah. with uh, Amazon, at least, uh, in two different countries, your country and mine. And yeah. the wonderful thing about my publishing deal is that, you know, my book isn't just in Amazon. It's in all the bookstores. So it's so, in, so it's obviously in Amazon. And I've, I've bought it from Amazon myself. It's also... I believe, in, uh, available from Barnes Noble. Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Walmart, Target, um, you yeah. know, all these different stores all over the place. I, and is it one of those friend, books that you can go to any bookstore and just order and they'll, they'll get it for you? Is it? They'll get it for you, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. And I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten some emails and some, my, my publicist has gotten some emails from people from Denmark. Uh, who have purchased the book, uh, Germany, obviously the UK, uh, the United States. And there's this one that I, I remember so vividly. It was just a, it was just about a month, maybe to the day. It was on a Sunday. I received something from her and it was this beautiful letter. And it said, Amber, you don't know me, but I'm the mother of a transgender daughter. And Two years ago, um, sorry, two years ago, my goodness, two months ago, she tried to take her own life. No more. Yeah. And I've been distraught and I've been at my wits end and I happened to find your book. So I bought your book and I read it 
and I read it within 48 hours. And I'm writing this letter to you to tell you that I want to thank you for writing this book because you've taught me so much about what my daughter is going through and what it is to be transgender and all of the different things that happen and how you know, you, you don't just wake up and, and feel like, oh yeah, my life's going to be better as a girl. So I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. You know, that's not the way it works. And the way you explained it was wonderful. So I gave it to my daughter to read. My daughter is just turned 17 and she read it and she said that she felt this kinship with you. And I wanted to tell you that. And she is telling me through my words to you that she has a new found hope in life. And I was just crying as I read this. I was yeah, just so that's, taken that's by this. It's amazing to know that your book wonderful. has actually helped somebody that much. That's Yeah. That's so they fantastic. gave it to they gave it to their therapist as well and, and said, I'm sorry, I don't know if this is a copyright violation. And I when I wrote them back, I said, first of all, don't worry about copyright violation. I could care less. <laughs> I couldn't care less, I said. No. And I'm just so thrilled that, you know, forget what you said about me. I'm just thrilled that I was able to touch you and your daughter in such a way that you guys feel comfortable. And, you know, I'm a suicide survivor myself. So it's nice to know that I was able to help somebody through this work that I've done. And it is a work because there's a lot of research that's gone into this book. It's not just a book about my life and what I've done. Um, but it's also a book about when you're transgender and you read this book, it's sort of a, a user manual of what not to do when you're transgender. <laughs> yeah, we've all been through those scenarios, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, don't do this if, if you're transgender. And yeah. then it's also a book on how to overcome adversity with a, with a bit of, you know, not taking yourself seriously and do it with a little bit of humor and instead of spite, because there's there's definitely ignorant people out there. No question. Oh, yeah. but there's also a lot of uninformed people that just have old misinformation and mythology given to them. So they, they take that as truth without understanding what it really is. And I'm, I'm one of those people that's like, let's give them a chance. And it's tiring. I know, I know, I know it's so tiring, but if we're going to get anywhere in this world, with advocacy for transgender and especially for the new generations as a transgender elder, yeah. you know, I have to, I have to pay it forward and try yeah. to make the future a little brighter for them. So they don't have to go through that first puberty in the first place. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to be an advocate for that uh, with my, my national tour that's coming up. I'm going to be speaking a lot about the transgender youth and helping them out with with all of the different barriers that seem to be popping up from different states, uh, our country, you know, being a representative democracy, you know, each state sort of can make its own laws on certain things. And there's, there's several states that are, are trying to block and or have blocked puberty blockers yeah. from being administered, even though for the past 11 years, they've been administered. They're trying to block them. And so, so the, these laws that these states kind of come out with, you know, we, we all know about the bathroom bills and, you know, now they're trying to block, um, you know, prescriptions for under 18s children. Um, 
I mean, how, how does that all work in the States when it, when it comes to, you know, the federal level laws and then you've got the state laws? I mean, surely this, the federal level will kind of, you know, be more important when it comes to these kind of things. I mean, how does that, how does that work? Yeah, there's an, I don't claim to understand how it all works. However, it seems to be very fragmented. It is. I mean, there's something called states' rights. Yeah. So if there is a law, you know, that guarantees uh, non-discrimination, for example, let's, let's use this one as an example. In, in the women's suffrage movement and the women's rights movements, you know, the ability to vote was a big deal. So when women got the ability to vote, there was, a federal, there was federal legislation that said women have the right to vote. And the states have to follow that that mandate. That's that, how I understand that. Yeah. You know, um, and people all the time, even this morning on one of one of the posts, because of as you know, and with the new presidency, he's already in acting. You know. Yeah, he's doing protections for the already. LGBTQ, right? Yeah. yeah. So people say, why do transgender people have to get so many special rights? And, and, you know, I don't have special rights. Why should they get special rights? Well, they're not really special rights. They're just the same rights and, as everybody else. And that's, that's actually it. Yeah. You know, you're, you're spot on. Yeah. They, um, that we're not giving them special rights. We're not giving me special rights. That's like saying that we gave women special rights so that they could vote, or we gave black people the right not to be a slave. Or yeah, I mean, or most, to, most of these laws are taking away discrimination and taking away, you know, the negative things. They're not giving transgender yeah. people additional rights that anybody else doesn't have. Yeah, That's it's a, it's it's tragic that people yeah. still have that mindset. To exactly. do it, but yeah. going back to when I was four, yeah, just a second to hop back and forth, <laughs> like like we have ADD. Well, I have ADD, okay. right? The the most memorable moment of my life was when you know I knew, and I was I was already you know tormented and struggling very hard, and I remember saying these words at the side of my bed, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. My mom would sit with me, well, kneel with me next to my bed, and we would say my prayers. I was brought up Catholic. And after the prayers, you know, we would usually have my mom and me recite uh, things like, God bless my mom and my dad and my sister and my friends and my relatives. And, and, you know, that sort of private message to God. And one night she says to me, can you just give God you know, your own words, like talk to God right now and ask him for something or, or just talk to him really quick and give him a quick message, anything you want. And I didn't really know what to say or do. So I put my hands up to my head and I bowed my head by my bed. And I said, God, please fix me by the morning. And my mom said, oh, honey, what's wrong? Are you sick? And she puts her hand to my head like I'm sick. And I said, no. And I started crying. This part she had to tell me, you know, I didn't, I don't remember at four years old crying. I actually thought it was eight years old. And she goes, honey, you weren't, you were not even in preschool yet. And you were talking about all of this and, and you were really good with your prayers with me. And, you know, you weren't even in school. And this is before you went you know, cause I went 90% deaf when I was five. 
Oh, just really? that was before then. And I said, wow. So what happened, mom? And she yeah, said, did it work? No, no, <laughs> it didn't work. God sort of said, I'm sorry, I can't grant you that. And, you know, there's a reason. I always took it as maybe there's a reason for this. And I went through years of, I have to tell you, crying night after night in my bed, telling God to whatever, whatever ended up getting screwed up, please fix it. Right. But that one night I said, while I was crying, I said, mom, am I a boy and a girl? And she goes, no, honey, why would you say that? No, you're just my handsome little boy. And I remember them at that moment. And when she retold it to me, I remembered the exact emotion I was going through, which was this feeling of, I was let down. I was hoping that she would say, yes, you're a girl, but there's a few things we have to do. And, you know, there was a problem and blah, 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 blah. But she said, no, you're just my handsome little boy. And that was just such the wrong answer that I wanted from my mom. And, and I, and I had to go on and on and on with these prayers for years. And mom thought it was sort of this phase that I was going through. She just said, listen, honey. And of course, when you're four, your mom is your world, right? Absolutely. What she says goes, and she yeah. knows because she's the only, other than your dad, she's the only other person on the planet that you trust. And she says something, it's the Holy Grail. So she said, listen, little boys and girls go through all sorts of problems when they're, when they're trying to grow up. And sometimes it can be very confusing and scary, but I promise you, you're going to be okay. This is just one of those phases everyone goes through. So you get a nice sleep tonight and don't you worry. Everything's going to be just beautiful. And she kisses me on my forehead. My mom was such a wonderful person and God bless her in heaven. And she kisses my forehead and leaves the room. And I remember, yeah, everything's going to be okay. Mom just said, I'm going to be fine. So what mom says goes, and I didn't really feel bad about it. I was like, all right, this is just something everybody goes through. And then it just got worse every day. It sort of got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I found myself still hovering in my sister's room and, and being jealous that she was taking ballet. And I would watch her intently as she would practice. She'd get home from ballet and she'd have to practice her moves. And I would watch her like every nuance of her moves. And then when she'd put her tutu and, and, and uniform away with the leotards and everything, I would excuse myself to go to my room. And instead of going to my room, I would go to her room and put her uniform on and I would stand in front of the mirror and I would actually practice those moves just as I watched her do just a few minutes before and try to do them as, as perfectly as I could to what I remembered her doing so that I could feel like I was in ballet class right next to her. And this was probably all a big secret. No, no, you know, obviously nobody knew about it except yourself. Nobody knew about this stuff because I was very, I became a secret agent. Oh yeah. I think we all, we all you know, kind I of have been secret agents through our lives. Yeah. <laughs> Having to hide these things for decades. It's not easy. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, I went through this whole, you know, when you're young, you're, you're androgynous and you can play dress up to your heart's content because yeah. you are a little girl and, and, you know, I didn't want to be a little girl. I knew I was a little girl. There was a big difference between someone saying, I want to be a girl. I wish I was a girl. You know, all those things versus 
I already know I'm a girl because my brain is telling me so. And, and I didn't know I, it was my brain telling me so, but I knew innately subconsciously and consciously that I'm a girl and there's something just completely wrong here with the way people are treating me. I, I, I just, so how, how did you, um, how did you deal with that? You know, when you're going, when you're going through your teens, you know, I mean, when you're very young, it's probably a lot easier. And then when you get into your teens and puberty, you know, I mean, how did you kind of deal with them? The teens were absolute hell. And in my book, you know, I don't, I don't want to read it to you right now, but it's, it's a tragic, it took a tragic turn because when puberty hits for girls, it's a little younger. Yeah. And I can embarrassingly say that since we had no internet back then, maybe that's my excuse. No, we're talking the, I guess we're talking the early seventies, mid seventies. Yeah. Late seventies, early eighties. Okay. And there was no internet. And at 11 years old, I was still having conversations with my girlfriends that about having kids. And, you know, they would say, oh, I want two kids or, or my other friend would say, I want four kids. And I said, yeah, I want two kids too. And, and it's going to be such a weird thing when we have kids. Right. And they look at me and they say, you can't have kids. You're a boy. I said, no, I can have, I have, I can have kids too. And it was sort of like the Santa Claus conversation where half of us believe in Santa Claus and the other half didn't. And yeah. at 11 years old, I still thought there was some sort of magical possibility I could get pregnant and, and have kids. And it made me feel like maybe I was mentally screwed up in the head. But as, as I found out later on, it, it, that wasn't the case at all. And puberty watching them go through it made me made me so sad because I would stare at myself in the mirror and then I would see my girlfriends and then this one year that I had to go back to school I knew that over the summer they had all blossomed and I was just starting mine and I was going the wrong direction everything was wrong my voice was getting deeper and 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 I was getting taller and lanky and and hair was starting to grow in strange places and yes Everything was changing dreadfully, but the one thing that remained is, you remember the movie Grease, right? Yeah. When I was 10, I want to say, we went to see the movie together as a family. And I remember after the movie, I just loved the movie so much. And, you know, Olivia Newton-John was absolutely beautiful. And John Travolta was hot and wonderful. and, And I remember going to school and the kids would, would talk about this movie and i said oh it was so cool you know seeing olivia newton john in these different summer dresses and almost every single scene in those ribbons she would wear a different colored ribbon like in almost every scene and the boys would look at me and go like what on earth are you talking about and the girls you know when i would talk to the girls about this they were like yeah totally and John Travolta, so, you know, God, did, I want to kiss him. And I would did, did say, the boys yeah, kind I, of reject you as a, as a friend. They were, they were sort of like wondering what the hell is wrong with this person? Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe he is gay. Right. Right. So I met this boy and he lived on a horse farm and he kind of, I could tell he liked me and I liked him and there was something going on and I, he was super cute. And I remember one day things got a little bit too close to, you know, we're about to kiss. There's something going on here. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying, 
we have to have a talk. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not gay. Like those kids in school talk about. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, sit down. <laughs> and I had him sit down and so, I actually. So was he gay? Did you know at the time? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Right. Um, and so I sat him down and I said, listen, here's what the real thing for me is. And I was just turned 14, I think. No, I was 13 going on 14, actually. It was right before my birthday. And I said, I was born and something tragic happened when I was born. And when I came out of my mom, I came out like this. However, I was supposed to come out like a girl. And, you know, I would tell him these, these, these little anecdotes uh, about that. And, and in my book, I, I sort of paraphrased the whole ordeal into explaining to him and to my readers, you know, being born like I was, was like realizing you were switched at birth, but instead of being given to the wrong family, you were given to the wrong body. Yeah. And he got it. Can you believe that in, in 1980, whatever that was, he understood something on a level that most people still are having a hard time understanding. And I said, listen, I love Sean Cassidy and Andy Gibb and John Travolta and Robbie Benson and Scott Bayo and Donnie Osmond. And, you know, I started naming all these people um, to, to him. And I said, they're all, you know, that I, I want to be their girlfriend, but I can't because something happened with me. I'm a girl, but I'm all wrong. Yeah. And he sort of was taken back by it, but 20 minutes later, we were, you know, so something no happened between of, us. There was, no bad, there was no bad reaction. He kind of. No, it worked out it. wonderfully for about nine I, months yeah. until he beat the snot out of me in school yeah. one day I, for no reason, by the way. So is that uh, somehow related to, you know, the other boys maybe giving him a hard time? Yes, he something? was getting teased. I think yeah. somebody found out. Right. I, I believe somebody found out. This is speculation because I never really did find out why, because our relationship after that day, he and I ceased to exist. There was no, he yeah. didn't exist. Aaron was gone and it, it was Aaron and, and me. And he, he was gone and it was, I was left by myself, you know, dealing, grappling with the issue that he just beat the crap out of me in front of 150 kids in my class. Oh, and they're all staring at me as I cry on the floor. And I never did find out. My my only thing is is that he probably thought I told somebody, and he was getting teased. Yeah, so he just kind of reacted and took it out on you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's unfortunate because, you know that 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 was the day, that that exact day was the day that I said enough because I had gone through lots of other bullying. Right, I went through years and years of of what would be considered sexual assault. Yeah. Um, by children in my class but back then it wasn't called sexual assault and There's nothing you could have done about it back then either i mean if you were to tell your teachers you probably just have been dismissed and you no, know i did tell my you, teachers what, did, they, times. did they do anything oh yeah oh what my they god do? they you know back in the day we still had something called the paddle okay in fact a couple of kids ended up getting the paddle for it um right to their butts and there there was one time when these two boys who I'm friends with now, strangely enough, but these two boys grabbed me from behind in the locker room as in the fifth grade. And they lifted me up in the air, one with 
I guess you call these things a bear hug or whatever it was. Yeah. And the other boy grabbed my shorts and my underwear, stripping me down to nakedness oh, damn. and turned on the showers to cold and threw me approximately six or 10 feet across the room into the showers. And I was all bruised up and they threw me there and I put my knees to my, to my chin and I started crying. And to my amazement and, and chagrin, a lot of my friends were standing there watching this spectacle happen as they said, look at the little girl crying in the corner. Now for me, that was the only positive thing they did the whole day. <laughs> they gendered me correctly. Right. Finally. But I'm, I'm kid. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm this kid that's completely destroyed at this point. I'm freezing underneath this water. You know, Mr. Schulte walks in the, the teacher and he says, what's going on? And he turns off the water and he sees me, sends me to the nurse. And, you know, you know, there's all this stuff that, that in my mind, I'm like, God, they were so mean just because I was, what? I was yeah. in the alpha male, right? I didn't Different. tell everybody I'm a little girl at that age. I was too afraid to, I didn't know what to say to people. I was just this little kid that got bullied all the time because I, I, I came across uh, different you know, or boys, shy. boys are just picking on you because, because they could, I guess. I mean, that's how that, that kind of thing that's happens. How, yeah. That's how that happens. Yeah. So I was, um, yeah, I went through a lot of stuff in, in school yeah. and, and then I changed, I changed my, my supposed gender, not my gender, but my supposed sexual orientation at around 14 and said, I'm going to try to like girls. This is too dangerous. I'm going to like girls and I'm going to date girls. And, and it took me three years. I ended up not dating anybody. I just was like, forget everybody. You know, after Aaron, I was, I was heartbroken and I was so heartbroken that I reclused in one of my room. That's when I started learning how to write music and, and computer programming and all this stuff. And so I guess you, you, you were kind of trying to figure out who you were at that stage and, and where you fit in with, you know, relationships, boys and girls. And how does that work for you? I guess you were trying to figure um, out at what, that age. Yeah, I think, I think that was, that was part of it. Yeah. I, I knew that I was super attracted to boys and, and girls was this weird thing for me. Yeah, I was more, I wanted to be like that person rather than, be with that person and so yeah I, I guess it was more you were probably more looking for friendships with girls rather than oh yeah all the time yeah, yeah. i had so many friendships wonderful friendships uh, with 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 girls on my block and you know something when i was coming out of that that painful experience of of i found somebody that i i think at 14 i know what love is because i feel this these butterflies and my stomach swirling around and they would make their way up through my midsection into the chambers of my heart and, and start their fluttering there as well. Yeah. And this had happened every time I'd, I'd kiss him. And I just, I just was amazed at the feeling that I was getting just from kissing. It wasn't a sexual feeling. It was a, it's just a, a I can only equate it to what I consider a loving feeling. And Knowing that I got beat up, I started to recluse. I started to write music. Music was my only venue. But then I started to get this mindset because I was falling into a depression that not only am I born incorrectly, 
but I'm, a, I'm, I'm apparently not worthy of love either. And one night on a whim, I grabbed all of the pills out of the bathroom. Oh, dear. And I laid them out on my bed. I didn't even know what they were. They could have been, you know, like laxatives for all I know. Yeah, you just grabbed what but was that? For me, for me, it was like, you know, I've, I've effing had it, right? And as soon as I laid them out on the bed, like all these things that I couldn't pronounce, I remember hearing, and it was my dad knocking on my door. And back then they would give this and then open the door anyway, right? There's no privacy. Immediately, just, you know, no, no. You know, here's your warning. You got one <laughs> second. I'm walking in and yep. I'm sitting on my bed and I cover everything up. And he goes, listen, it's going to be below zero tonight. You have to get outside and help me. We got to get some some wood from the garage to put into the basement. So get your snow pants on and get everything on. And I'll meet you down there in two minutes. And then he shuts the door. And at that point, I put all the pills away. I got on my snow pants. I got on my gloves and my hat and my boots. And I made my way outside. And it wasn't until later in my life that I said to myself, you know something? My dad saved my life that night. There's a yeah. reason my dad walked into the room at exactly that moment that night. I mean, were you were you definitely going to take those pills? Had you made your kind oh, of yeah. to do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Did I know they were going to kill me or not? I had no idea, but I was going to try. And Was that a kind of a, a cry for help at that stage or was it? I think it was when yeah. I look back, um, but nobody really knew. I didn't even leave a note. I was just, I had lost a friend just about, um, oh God, not too long before, or, or maybe it was right after um, I lost a friend to suicide. And that day I had a spiritual revelation not a religious one, right? Because I'm religiously agnostic at this point, no. uh, but I'm a very spiritual woman. I, I think very spiritually. And I think that God or the universe or whatever we want to call this, put my dad in the room when he, they did, it did, whatever this is. And he was there for a reason. And I never, ever attempted that sort of idea set ever again i said you know what my dad saved my life and he's painfully unaware that he saved my life yeah so whatever it was there was some intervention happened there's an intervention happening here and i'm gonna see yeah. this through there's yeah. a reason and i'm not gonna screw this up again no matter how painful it gets i mean that's an interesting point you bring up about religion and um you know spiritualism because i don't really consider myself to be religion religious i don't really follow man-made religions but I do believe in God, right. you know, I kind of, so I guess that's more of the spiritualist side of things. I've never really resolved this kind of conflict in my life, you know, especially being transgender now, it's really difficult to find a church, for example, that would be accepting of us. You know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing. And yet you may still have a belief in, you know, God, a God-like figure or whatever you want to call it but to, you know to how do you how do you kind of close that gap it's it's quite difficult it's it's for me i i explain there's a there's a chapter in my book called losing my religion okay and it's 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 not so much 
poo-pooing Christianity or anything else. It, but it is giving people some insight because what people don't realize is that if you're Catholic, for example, 73% of Catholics don't read the Bible regularly or have never read it at all. They let the church do it on Sunday. Christians, like born-again Christians, they read one Bible. The Bible they read is the King James interpretation of the Bible, yeah. right? And they themselves cherry-pick what they want to read as well. And alongside of that, the, you, you know, when you talk to one of those folks, you'll see them cherry-picking not from the New Testament, but from the Old Testament as well. One of the most violent, one of the most violent and dangerous chapters in the old testament is a chapter called leviticus um there are there are loopholes all over the place to kill somebody to kill your own children yeah the 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 number of things or violations that fall into these loopholes where you're allowed to inflict bodily harm on somebody are are written throughout the entire text in fact it talks about slavery right in, you know, this is the funny thing about the Bible is that, you know, people will cite chapter and verse on you and say, you know, God says homosexuality. This is one of the things they do for the LGBT. Yeah. They say God says homosexuality is a sin and it's an abomination. But and, is that actually in the Bible? I don't believe it is. Yeah, it's funny. You know, they start pointing to all this and, and the word homosexuality didn't even become a word until the 19 late 1940s so, so i mean you've got all the these religions kind of interpreting it the way they want to do it based on their own kind of belief systems you know it even the even the books within the bible you know they're all written by men so oh, they, they absolutely were written by men because yeah, so, I mean, how can you, you know how do you kind of accept that as the word of god as as it's as it's pushed you know, well, and then just, I, okay. I think I think I'm more of a, a believer in nature than I am of religion. You know, does yeah. is there something behind, you know, all the order that we see in the in the, you know, in nature? I mean, did it happen from a, as a mistake? I don't know. I mean, it's but I, yeah, I'm I'm very much against man-made religions, and I'm struggling yeah, with it because there's so many of them. When I ask people yeah, how many religions are there. They don't know how many religions there are. They can they can name about five of them. I mean, if you just look at the Abrahamic religions, I mean, how it's splintered and splintered. I mean, it's just so oh, obvious it's that it's not as you might think. And they're all run by men. <laughs> and they're all run by men. And, so, yeah. and when you look what at religion itself, you have forty two hundred religions around the world, right? You have your yeah. top. You have your top six, no question. Yeah. But there's forty two hundred religions around the world. When you look at Christianity. I say, I say to people all the time, and this is part of one of the things I do in my, in my lectures that um, when I go on my tour, that that'll be happening is I'll say to people, let's, let's talk about something divisive for a few minutes. Let's talk about religion just for a minute, not to get anyone upset, but just to show you some numbers really quick. Yeah. How many different denominations of Christianity are there? Let's go through them right now. Shall we show of hands? Give me, give me one. And you know, you'll, you'll hear Methodist and then you'll hear Southern Baptist and then you'll hear Seventh-day Adventist, you know, Mormon, yeah. this and that and the yeah. other thing. Yeah. And I say, well, 
honestly, we don't have time to go through them all. So, but I'm happy that you guys answered at least a little bit of it. The reality is there's 33,000. Yes, wow. that's a true number. 33,000 different denominations of Christianity because Christianity is splintered because they can't interpret God's word equally. Yeah. And it just it keeps on splintering and splintering. I mean, it's. And you got to say to yourself at some point, you have to sort of take the blinders off and say, okay, was God a trickster? Did <laughs> no. he actually want us to be all screwed up and the and have the rather instruction rather of, of all humanity, right? That's, that's what they tell me all the time. It's the instruction manual for all humanity. Okay, if it's the instruction manual for all humanity, here's three points. Point number one why do we have to interpret his word? You know, it should be pretty clear what he's trying to tell us to do and not do. Number two, if in fact it's God's word, why in 323, you know, after Jesus, you know, Jesus's death, did Constantine call the council of Nicaea together to decide which books, which scriptures, which writings, which authors make it to the final version of what we call the Bible, which is just a comp- a compilation of all these by these 200 theologians of the time. So it makes you wonder what was missed out, what was left out deliberately at that point. Yeah, and, 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 and you take that one step further and you say, well, gee, if God gave us, if God gave us this instruction manual, and these are actually the words of God, who in the world are we? to edit his word yeah. like we're becoming we're Wait so arrogant that we're going to edit god's word no you guys already know it's not god's word you know that it's a bunch of middle-aged guys and yeah. back then middle age was 20 something you know from the middle east why yeah. because the entire instruction manual talks about israel it talks about the desert the red sea palm trees and fig trees well the world's a lot bigger than that. Where's North America? Where's Australia? Where's where's all these other places around the world? We only hear about, you know, these this this 450 square mile plot of desert uh, in 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 most texts. And and I was fortunate enough to be able to read not just the Old Testament, not just the New Testament NIV, which is what Catholics use, not just the New Living Testament and the King James Testament um, of the New of the New Testament versions of the Testament, but I've also read, I've read the old Jewish translated Jewish texts that exist uh, that tell you that you know when we look at Genesis, for example, who were the first two people on planet Earth? Do you know? Adam and Eve. Yeah, everybody so says Adam and Eve, but that's not true. If you go back to the Jewish texts that predate. Genesis and where Genesis actually came from, you'll learn that Adam had another wife. His first wife, her name was Lilith. And anybody can fact check me if they like. (laughs) Um, Lilith was Adam's first wife. And but the fable that we came up in the Bible, to make things a lot easier to deal with, was Adam and Eve. And Eve was created, as we all know, from the rib of one of Adam's ribs. And you know, it was a clone of Adam, basically, and then transmutated into the female form. So if you want to get really technical, Eve was the first transgender person on the planet. (laughs) So, you know, I've read the Quran, for example, a lot of lot of Christians won't touch that. Instead, they just say, Oh, the Quran's filled with a lot of evil stuff. Don't don't read that. And, you know, my, especially my relatives who 
by the way, tried to give me an exorcism and that's a whole nother story. Um, But, you know, if you think about religion and, 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 and just the close mindedness of it all, well, why, why can't I read the Quran? I want, I want to know more about what their mindset is. Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful things in the Quran. There's no question about it. There's a lot of evil things in the Quran. But the same can be said about say any the, religious yes, text. Exactly. Exactly. You know? um, so, you know, there's all these different versions, all kind of man made. In, in a, in a, in a, oh, it's, it's, it's funny because yeah. I'm going to read you just one, if you don't mind. Yeah, cool. This goes, this goes along to why we had slavery in the first place, right? Why, why did America, de- you know, sign the Declaration of Independence, fully new, knowing full well that they were declaring people of color three-fifths of a human being right the mm-hmm. men of, of course you yes know, females they don't count at all but <clears throat> you may purchase male or female slaves from among uh, from among the foreigners who live among you you may also purchase the children of such resident foreigners including those who have been born in your land you may treat them as your property passing them on to your children as a permanent inheritance you may treat your slaves like this but the people of Israel, your relatives, must never be treated this way. Levit- Leviticus chapter 25, verses 44 through 46, New Living Testament. So these are examples of, of what we, we've, we've done because this is the way we perceived humanity back then. And then it goes on to say, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, New Living Testament. So I have all of these. Um, I go through this, this uh, exercise with people, you know, showing them all of the different things in the Bible um, that, are, that are not even being followed at this point. There's so many things, you know, America, for example, I can only speak to America. I'm sure you have the same problem in the UK. Yeah, 50, similar, but different. Yeah. 51% of Americans that get married get divorced. Yeah. Okay? Yep. That's the statistic right now. And out of the 51% that get divorced, 62% of them, it's caused by infidelity, which is also in the Bible called adultery. Yeah. Adultery, you bring them to the town square and you stone them until they're dead you know the blood is upon them uh you know because it's an abomination to god and they are to be stoned until they can't breathe anymore they're they're they are basically um you know being punished for that and it's kind of sad because this is what religion has done forever and ever and ever and ever because look at leprosy we all know what leprosy is now it's a mild bacterial infection it was discovered in 1873 by a norwegian scientist right but for thousands of years, and I do say thousands, the church, along with religion itself, this, this thing that we call monotheism, which is relatively new, because polytheism, of course, was 15,000 years in length, whereas monotheism is only a few thousand years so far, a fifth. And it's the hand of God. Leprosy is the hand of God punishing the individual for, for inflicting sins against God. And if it wasn't the individual... This individual is paying for the sins of the parents. And this is this is what the Bible, the church, 
and society thought all of this time. And then in 1873, this Norwegian scientist says it's really a germ. It's a myobacterial infection. So let's rethink this. And it would still take 65 years longer for society to embrace that idea and actually yeah. say, you know, I think it's time that we stop chastising them and sending them to this private island to die and, and try to find ways to help them and be kind to them. Yeah, absolutely. That's I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's religion. It's all, it's all about controlling the masses in a, in a way, isn't it? It's about it is. men controlling the populations. And it always seems to come back to that same point. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I think religion can be super beautiful. Well, yeah, but if we done very carefully and, and, you know, but it's, it's really, it's really can be, it can be used can very be used maliciously against terrible. people and have lifelong consequences yeah, because <laughs> the beginning of my book actually starts, how the hell did I go from being a shy, <laughs> do no wrong and deeply loved child into a grown woman, disinvited to Christmas with the relatives. <laughs> it was just as well since I was already busy running from their plan of giving me a good old fashioned Catholic exorcism. Oh God. Boy. Oh boy. You bet your ass. That would have been a party to crash. Right. Is, so, I mean, do you write about that in, in your book? The, the exorcism? Yeah. That's the first that's actually in the introduction. That's okay. one of the first things I say in my book is, 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 is that exact reading that I gave you uh, of that. And, but you know what? That's after all of the nonsense I went through, through, through my childhood, music really saved my life. So how did music. you get into the music business? I mean, it, it, you know, you're, you are a songwriter, musician, producer, and have been, you know, involved with quite a few well-known stars. So how, how did that all begin for you? How did you, how did you get it's, into that? It's interesting. I was writing music and writing my first songs at the age of 14. And by the time I was 18, 19 years old, I was already in the studios recording my stuff with studio musicians and I was writing everything from, you know, synth rock, like European synth rock. I love Depeche Mode and stuff like that. So oh, I yeah, used to write that. Favorites. And I started out with that sort of stuff and segued into pop rock, you know, sort of bubblegum sort of music and then got into smooth jazz so did you like, did you have a band or were you just doing this on your on your own? I was I was in a band at one time. Uh, we were sort of a cover band, and we would work every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday. Uh, and I was actually making more money with the band than I was at my regular day job. So but, what was your kind of position in that band? Were you kind of so the, right, the songwriter each, or the the interesting the part of that band was that we each had multiple talents. Right. So our keyboard player was also a, a, you know, played the flute. She was also an incredible vocalist. Her name was Elisa, and she had the most gorgeous voice. Uh, to listen to her sing, people would say, "I could listen to you all night and never sleep." She was really that good, and she could do all these things while playing the piano or playing the bass line on the piano or, you know, a mixture of things. So she had all these talents and we would all be able to sing three-part harmony. We were a three-piece band at the time. I had a sequencer. I used to sequence because we did things like the conga from Miami Sound Machine and and straight up from Paul Abdul and, and all of these songs that had a lot of synth parts that you couldn't yeah. possibly pull off with a three-piece. So I would have a click track in my in my headphones 
And, you know, we would go to the click track and the sequencing was done ahead of time, of course, for the bass line and, and, you know, trumpet parts or whatever else was in there. And I would control that. So I was a drummer. And if you've ever heard of the band Def Leppard, of course you have. Yes, of course. And um, so Rick Allen, who's the drummer that has a single arm, he ended up with a Simmons electronic drum set. I ended up buying the exact drum set he had. I spent thousands of dollars yeah. you know, putting this kit together. And so I had this electronic drum set at the time, which segued to yet another, even more complicated electronic drum set afterwards. I had a keyboard piano behind me because of course I had this, I had this sequencer connected to the piano behind me. And I used to start and stop the songs and some songs required you know, other parts to be played. So I'd be playing just like Rick Allen would with my feet controlling some of the snare drum stuff. And I would have one hand playing the hi-hat and, and other parts and drum licks while my hand was on the piano keyboard playing chords or a bass line at the same time, all the while singing background harmony to the wow. song we're doing. <laughs> so each one of us had this sort of, so that was our gimmick. Our gimmick was we, we did a whole bunch of things at once. And that's so how why many, how many members were there in the band? There were three of us three of and we were just, you know, we had a light show. We, we did some pretty big venues. Then we got picked up as a wedding band and I got bored after a while. And I said, you know, I got to really focus on my writing and I got pretty good with it and started writing a lot of smooth jazz I, I went to a studio in upstate New York and brought the song to, to this, this guy that I wrote with for years. His name is Ken. And he was just, he was the bee's knees. He was the best guitar player I've ever met in my life. Incredible vocalist. You know, he went on to do a lot of wonderful things in Nashville with his brother, Barry. And, you know, I've, I've, I've dropped dropped off the planet with them a little bit in years because obviously I moved away and it, it's hard to keep up with everyone, yeah. but they were actually instrumental in, in, in helping me to understand all these intricate things that go along with recording. And I remember this one time he says, you know, George Benson and Lou Rawls are writing, you know, this new album together and we should try to submit some stuff. And Lo and behold, none of that ever worked out for me with George Benson and Lou Rawls. But at the end of the day, my song ended up getting submitted to a guy from Muzak Incorporated in New York City. And Muzak Incorporated is, is a company that does, you've heard this term, elevator music, yes. right? Yeah. So after a while, it would get shopped to the city we talked about before, Seattle, which is the headquarters for Muzak Incorporated. Okay. And within within a year, unbeknownst to me at first, but within a year, my song was being played internationally on the Weather Channel and in hotel lobbies all around the world. You know, like your five stars, like Sheridan's and Hyatt's, Hyatt International's, Omni International, Hilton Hotels, all of those. And, you know, on the Weather Channel, which I think is everywhere at this point right 
you, you'd get this thing where it would say your local forecast. And then in the background, there was, you know, there was one of my songs playing and I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, this is such a trip. And tens of million people, uh, millions of people can probably hear this and they don't even know it's me. Yeah. It's, so, I mean, this is your, this is your, you've written this and you've yeah. submitted it and it's kind of been. It was kind of a, a cool thing for someone yeah, my age, really. but, but, you know, what really set me apart was I ended up going to this music seminar in New York city. And it was a songwriters convention where you bring your, your portfolio with you. So did, I only you, brought, did you kind of, were you trying to get a, a, like a, some kind of deal, a record this, deal? Yeah. At this mm-hmm. time. Yeah. I wanted a record deal so bad for the so. band. And forget the band. There was no oh, band at is, that point. Okay, I'm a songwriter. Okay. And you know, if you want, so you, you're in, you're in hunting mode for a deal. I want a deal and I want a deal such that Don Henley or someone else, you know, will pick up this stuff and, and yeah. use it in their repertoire. Right. So I bring four of these portfolios with me and I get there super early. You know, I'm like, I'm from upstate New York. So I'm in the Hilton hotel in New York city and New York there's going to be a thousand songwriters here. So you bet your ass I'm going to get so, there. I first. mean, just, just to, you know, explain what, I mean, what, what's in your kind of repertoire that how many songs were you trying to, you know, four, Altogether, there were four songs, okay. and one of them was a a, a country crossover, uh, sort of a world music, I guess you would call it, uh, called "Save It for the Children," which um, this story leads to, and a few other songs that were sort of '80s synth rock, I guess you would call it, and um, so this sort of Paula Abdulish sort of mm-hmm. vibe if yeah. you if you will so you um, put together kind of recordings on i guess it would have been yeah so i wouldn't time. i wouldn't sing it i would have someone else sing it okay um but the instruments was me and 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 ken and so i went to new york city i went to yeah. this hilton i got there super early i go up to the buffet table in the back of the room there's like literally nobody in the boardroom in the boardroom it was a ballroom but you were key you were the first there I was like the first one there and I got in the room the the, in fact, the security guard had just unlocked the room and, and, and said, if you want to come in now, you can, I wasn't supposed to, but I did. They had just finished setting up this enormous spread of bagels and breakfast stuff and everything on this table. So I immediately was gravitated towards that to, to get that. So I put my stuff down in the front row of the, of the audit of the uh, ballroom. So I got a good seat ready to go. And I went over to this table and this older woman, as people started to flow in, this older woman comes up to me. She says, you're having trouble trying to find the right bagel too. The perfect bagel is so hard to come by, isn't it? And she laughed. And I said, yeah. And she goes, hi, my name is Anne. What's your name, sweetheart? And I said, it's, and at the time, you know, that was my name, yeah. my birth name, Eddie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, so she goes, oh, it's wonderful to meet you. So do you live here in New York City? I said, no, I live in upstate New York, probably someplace you never heard of. You know, I live in Liberty, New York. She goes, oh, Liberty, New York. Oh, Grossinger's Hotel. And your whole county is so, you know, historic and beautiful. And, you know, Dirty Dancing was based on your town. And I'm like, like, oh my God, she knows about where I live. <laughs> so I was like really floored with 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 her already. And, and then she says, you know, so you're a songwriter, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And we started talking about my, my portfolio and stuff. And then we say quickly segued back to bagels. Right. I, I didn't know who she was. So I was like, 
you know, I'm going to go with the everything bagel. What do you think? Is that a good choice? And that's, always, that's always the best one, the everything bagel. <laughs> yeah. So I went with the everything bagel and a salt bagel. I got two. And um, so I'm drinking a coffee. I'm eating the bagel. We're having small talk about her family, about me and my family and things that we've done. And, and you're completely oblivious to who she is. I'm oblivious to who she is. And, and so 25 minutes into this talk, you know, she's, she's sort of still standing there with me finishing up her coffee and someone taps her on the shoulder and says, Anne, your keynote is in five minutes. We got to get you going. <laughs> and I'm like, who the hell was I just talking to? She goes, Eddie, it was a pleasure to meet you. And I said, Miss Ruckert, it was, and she goes, uh, 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 uh. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And it was a pleasure to meet you today. Thank you for talking to me and, and, and whatnot. She goes, listen, sweetheart, let me do you a favor. Um, why don't you give me one of your packets and I'll go through it. And if I like it or not, I promise I'll give you a call on Monday. Now, she's giving a keynote speech, but I don't really know who she who she really is, right? Is she really, is she just some sort of paper pusher or is she, I didn't know what she was, yeah. Yeah. to be honest. So I'm looking at her and saying, oh my God, I'm about to give one of my packets to this woman. I don't know who she is and I want yeah, to give it to the four best four. producers. <laughs> <laughs> so she takes the packet. I walk up to my seat. There's a guy sitting next to where I was and he looks at me and he says, so, so you're resenting her at this point for having stolen one of your packets. <laughs> I, yeah. I was, I was a little pained, but I was yeah. also like, well, she's the keynote speaker. Yeah, so, so maybe, knows, maybe, maybe something, okay. maybe she'll give it to the right person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So he says, how the hell did you get your packet to Ann Ruckard? I said, what? How the hell did you get your packet to Ann Ruckard? I said, I didn't. She asked for mine. And he throws his hands in the air and he goes, you are absolutely the most luckiest person in this entire <laughs> effing room. And I'm like, uh, I didn't even know what he was talking about. And right at that moment, somebody from ASCAP comes out on the stage and said, how's everyone doing? Listen, this, this woman I'm about to introduce certainly needs no introduction to all of you, except for me. <laughs> I had no idea who she was and I'm still like, flabbergasted like all right he's saying something big now and i don't know who this is and he goes but i'm going to give you her full her full to do anyway she currently sits as on the board of directors as vice president for the the, the board of directors of the grammy awards and so like already just with that alone i hit the, the golden jewel right yeah so, so the, the, the Grammys are kind of, they're put out by the National Academy of Recording Artists. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And she's the vice president of this. A, and yeah. it's the, the, the biggest award in and music. And you're looking for a record deal. So that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they said she started the Jazz Foundation of America. And she's worked with people from Barbara Streisand, Aretha Franklin, Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, Sting, uh, Suzanne yeah. Vega, blah blah blah. The list. Goes so she's on she's a on. huge figure in the in the whole. Oh, absolutely um, yeah, huge. Business. Yeah. And I felt so stupid, right? So he 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 keeps saying all these things, and he says, "Without further ado, here she is, the jewel." Yeah, that's the word he used. The, the jewel event. of the music business. We love her to death, Miss Anne Ruckard, and everybody stands up and gives her a huge standing ovation. Me too, and I'm just going through my mind like f my life nobody is going to believe you've just nobody is going to believe what just happened to me you know yeah and monday she called me back she actually called and left a message on my parents answering machine because i was still living at home 
And my mom calls me at work and says, honey, I need you to listen to this. And she holds the phone up to the old fashioned answering machine and, and lets me hear. And she goes, hi, this is Ann Ruckert. I'm calling from the office of Quincy Jones. And, you know, we met at the, at the seminar over the weekend on Friday. And I told you I'd give you a call back. And sweetheart, we need to talk. I loved your stuff and especially track number two, which was save it for the children. And she goes, give me a call back at 212, blah, 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 blah. And so at that point, mom said, you know, what do you think? And I immediately dropped the phone. Didn't even hang it up properly. I'm surprised you didn't faint to that point. I ran out of my office, didn't even tell my boss I was leaving and went home, listened to it 14 more times and finally got the courage amassed to call her back. And I was just thrilled you know, that she liked my yeah, music. So she, amazing. she ends up sending me to New York city to a studio and hooks me up with um, listening and watching them mix down Madonna's like a prayer album. Wow. It, it hadn't even come out yet. And I'm one of the few people that got to sit in there and watch them do, you know, the mastering and remixing of this album. And it was just an absolute pleasure to be able to do that. And through that, I ended up getting a philanthropic deal, I guess you would call it a freebie. They said, yeah. we can't pay you for this. It's, it's for free. And I said, oh, okay. We want you to help us arrange, you know, and sort of co-write a song that we're doing for a documentary and an exhibit that's going to travel around the world. And I said, what, what's it for? And they said, it's for the children of Africa, specifically Ethiopia. There's these girls that walk 10 miles a day to get water, drinking water. And it's muddy water at that. And we're trying to bring awareness to the situation in Africa to try to, to, to help these people at least have drinkable water. I thought it was such a beautiful thing. I was already a member of Greenpeace International and stuff like that. So I was absolutely i would love to do this so i listened to the song it sounded like a luther vandross song and I, I i opened my mouth for the first time in my life and said i don't know this is this doesn't sound right to me we should put our best foot forward by making it authentic and being respectful to the culture and put african drums in it and you know use the actual instrumentation that should be there and we did that and long story short, it traveled to 150 countries over the next year and a half and, or two years, I think it might've been. And it ended up having a final resting place in the Smithsonian in Washington, DC. So wow. um, I was, I was so honored to be part yeah, of that project and to be credited, you know, both on the exhibit and the um, documentary. It was just you know, I, I was humbled, you know, you don't yeah. need to put my name on this thing. I just, I'm just glad I was part of it. So uh, this, that, you know, this chance meeting, you know, with Anne, I mean, that really kind of launched your career at that point, I would, I would guess. Yeah, it, it gave me, a, it was a huge confidence builder, right? She was, she was a voice coach. She was a vocal coach. She did vocal coaching for literally everyone. She sang on over 3000 albums. Um, so you know, having her in my corner as, yeah. as someone that can coach me along, I didn't get a record deal from her because I wasn't worthy of a record deal because I didn't have a band. Right. They were looking for bands and I wasn't in a band at that time. They weren't yet really doing these, 
one-offs you know i was a songwriter i didn't even have a voice i didn't sing i had to use someone yeah. else to to, to sing yeah. my song you're kind of the, you're the background songwriter and yeah, yeah. so yeah. she did send me to a lot of different places i talked to her uh several more times over the years uh, she passed away about six years ago unfortunately yeah. yeah um but she was such a wonderful wonderful inspiration to so many people and to to a nobody like myself you so know? it opened so many doors for you it, 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 it opened up a couple of doors for me and in the biggest door it opened up for me was one of having confidence that i just had the vice president of the grammys like my music yeah and um I had Celine Dion herself listen to one of my songs back in the day called Cross My Heart. And at the time, I didn't know who Celine Dion was. She was still in Canada. Yeah. And um, she was still doing really pop heavy music. She wasn't the, the, the ballad diva that we know her to be. She was still doing this pop oriented music. And this one song was sent to her that she actually liked, but she wasn't going to use it on her album by any stretch. And I'm just happy that, you know, these sort of these, these interesting six degrees of separation led me down the road to many different interesting experiences in my life. Yeah. Did I become a big star? No. Did I work with a lot of big stars? Yeah, I did. And I got lucky by doing that. And, you yeah. know, I, I ended up being, uh, a producer for an American Idol offshoot up in, in New York state. And I worked with the cast of the Sopranos. So that would HBO, have been HBO. And, that would have uh, been pre pre days of American Idol, I guess. Um, it was actually just, you know, American Idol was already in its, you know, fifth year and it was, it was, right. they were killing it at that point. And, and this was sort of a more of a regional version of it that uh, these guys from HBO and, um, what else was it from? Uh, there was a lot of famous people within there, other actors and and music music people that were involved. And and this one guy, his name was Tony. He was he was in The Sopranos. He was in the movie Goodfellas along with the other guys. They were all sort of that Italian sort of mafia sort of feel. These yeah. guys, they were funny. I mean, so funny. And I ended up producing that show at this oh. hotel, and. I was like, wow, this was really fun. I didn't, I thought this would be kind of silly and goofy to do, but this was a lot of fun. And I got some more experience being a producer. I had already produced some other things, but this was, this was to me a, a really cool thing. You know, you have a, a few thousand people in the audience watching this live show go off based on the things that you're doing, because I was doing choreography. I was doing the production, choreography, songwriting, you know, you name it. I was just, taking it all on and at the same time we were interviewing somewhere in a neighborhood of 3000 people from yeah. from about 7 or 8 different states in America and it was just amazing such an amazing experience um so you there, know what kind of stars have you have you worked with over the years uh so let's see i did the 25th reunion of woodstock and got to meet people like stevie nicks don henley uh, Randy Travis, Reba McIntyre. Um, I've worked very closely with uh, Buddy Jewel, who won. He was he was the winner of the first Nashville Star and became a superstar in country music. I worked with Josh Turner. I worked with uh, Rascal Flatts, Brad Paisley, 
um, as as an opening act sort of thing. Craig, um, who else was there? There's so many people. Joe Diffie, God bless his soul, he died of COVID this year. Um, and you know, just the smattering of people uh, yeah. that that I ended up meeting through. So when I moved to Nashville, you know, part time, I was working you know, full-time. And then I, you know, my job allowed me to get away. So every so often I would go to an apartment down in, in Nashville. And I was, I was in this studio with Brett Manning. Brett Manning is Taylor Swift's vocal coach. He also uh, is a vocal coach for Keith Urban, you know, the Aussie. Um, so this guy from Australia sounds like somebody from, from Arkansas yeah, because yeah. of, Brett Manning. And yeah. then of course I got to, to see and, and, and interact with Haley Williams from Paramore. Uh, you may knew or may not know her. I don't know if you know Paramore or not. No, I don't. Do you no. know the movies Twilight? Yep. The ones with the vampires. She yeah. sung the theme song for okay. that called Decode. And in the studio, he was teaching her how to sing these words oh, these incredible experiences you oh he's just he, brett manning is like the vocal coach of he's a rock star uh, when it comes to that stuff and if he ever hears this interview by happenstance that would be wonderful because he's just such an amazing force and he's helped so many different vocalists you know get their voice their unique yeah. voice and if you listen to the song decode by her i was there when you know, she's singing the word blood over and over again. And in the second verse, there's this word boiling in my blood, you know, and it, it still gives me chills that I, I actually got to hear this being sung, you know, and, and understand that, you know, here's this person that, that, you know, did a major motion picture to do that. And then from there, it was sort of things like I worked with the kids WB, the you know Warner Brothers tour. Uh, doing I had two songs uh, that were added that I wrote that were added to their repertoire Um, they would travel around (laughs) of all things Six Flags theme parks all around the country and they would do these shows uh, for for everyone from children all the way up through adults and uh, I had several tracks uh, you know because everything was pre-recorded I had several tracks uh, that were involved in that show. And uh, that was really interesting until I wrote a song. And in 2008, I want to say, I released it. I wrote it and I produced it in Los Angeles with the American Idol band, with with players, I should say, from the American Idol band, the, the ones that do the live show. Yeah. And the song was called If I Leave, and it was released. And I remember when they said, they said, don't release it here in the States. I said, why? So I was like, that's the death punch right there, right? You're like, oh God. They said, release it in the UK. I said, the UK, what, what do they know about country crossover in UK? Oh my God, did I get an education? You guys love this stuff. And it's, yeah, countries are huge up here, right? It's, yeah. It's and I was like, wow, okay. So this is interesting. You know, I, 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 I went from like 130 in the indie charts and within three weeks, I had the number one track in the UK oh, wow. um, on the indie charts and, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of downloads of this thing. And, yeah. and uh, that was the thing that opened a lot of other doors for me. And I started doing 
of all things, this is embarrassing. I, I did voiceovers. So, you know, the movie trailer voice that, you know, I don't know if you guys deal with the same thing in the UK as we do in the US, but we have Hal Douglas, rest his soul. You know, he used to do the, the movie trailer voice, like in a world, you know, yeah. you know yeah. uh, that sort of thing. And I used to have his voice. I wasn't right. as good as him, of course, but I used to have a very deep Darth Vader type voice. It was so deep. It was probably three octaves below where I am now. This so is my you, natural voice. You did a lot of um, voiceover work at that time. Oh my God. I was doing a lot of voiceover work. I used to do characters too. I could do everything from Scooby-Doo to, to other impersonations of other actors and, and stuff. But for the most part, I was doing concert introductions. Okay. Um, for 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 artists that were on tour so and, you'd be unseen but the voice would be out there kind of thing yeah so i would be on the radio so like if, yeah. if they had a concert in new york city you know they put me on the radio stations in new york city and you know they would hear my voice announcing that he's coming to town yeah. um and and then i would get called out on stage to introduce okay and i would i would go out there with the radio personalities in front of ten thousand people and wow let me tell you, the energy is amazing. I can you imagine. Know, how's everybody doing? And, not to and mention terrifying. To hear them hit, no, not terrifying for me. I loved it. The energy that of them, you know, they're not screaming for you, right? They want to, they want to see the artist. They don't want to see you. So you can just absorb it, I guess. And I just absorbed this energy from all these people yeah. screaming back. The first time I ever did it was about 4,000 people. And just the 4,000 people, you know, s- screaming back at you it was a buzz. It was this electricity that hit you. And anybody that's been on stage can tell you, yeah, it's a real trip. Um, It was a real trip for me. I loved, loved, loved doing that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, so being, being part of the music industry for those years was, was a highlight of my life. And it actually saved my life because coming out was the most difficult thing for me to do. I tried to transition so many times in my life and finally came out in to, you know, in when I was 48 years old, I was yeah. 48 years old when I finally said, all right, there's about, there's a smattering of people from the music business and from my regular life that know exactly who I am. And they've known it for, you know, decades but it's time to tell the world and I'm so, not just going to tell the world. Uh, yeah. I'm going to write a freaking book and I'm going to tell the I mean, world. How did, you, how did you actually do that at 48? I mean, how do you go about, you know, coming out completely and to everybody? So the interesting thing is, is I've already told you that I'm attracted to men. I've always been attracted to men, but I married women. Yeah. Unfortunately I married women, but fortunately I had children. I have four boys. So I was able to enjoy this whole concept of having children you know not to be selfish or anything but you know i have children and they're the best part of my life and i have the most rock star relationship with all four of my boys and you know they they always kind of understood that i was a little different anyway the other interesting thing is is i never hid it from the moms before i married i would tell them who i was and they would marry me anyway and i so remember were you, this were you married a few times or I was married three times. Three times. Yeah, and it was it was it was just strikeout after strikeout, and every single time it was, I just can't handle being married to another woman. It's just it's it's too much. And and how how was that kind of? How did that work for the for the women? 
that you married? I mean, how did they handle that? They ended up, you know, they were the ones that that would typically break up with me. Um, And, you know, it it left me not feeling sour at all. I mean, because when I think about it, I wasn't really attracted to them the way I was supposed to anyway. It almost felt disingenuous. And that hurt me because I don't want to hurt anybody. I was just trying to do what society told me I had to do. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a generation where people were, let's just call a duck a duck. They were shitty. Okay. People in society were shitty and, and they were not very nice to people like me. And I assimilated and did what they wanted me to do. And it was completely unnatural. I'm left-handed, but it felt like I was writing right-handed my entire life. Right. So I married them. We divorced, we had children, there's child support issues. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah. And the one thing out of it all is my second ex. Her name is Christine. Wonderful human being. I, to this day, I just love her to death. So you are know? you are you still in contact with? Oh with yeah. Exes? Yes, I am. And oh, that's nice. And all but the third. The third is a very transphobic individual. Okay. Um, she's very, very religiously screwed up in the head. When it, when I say that, she doesn't even know what she's following she's she's sort of all over the map but i'm not going to say her name or anything um but the reality is especially my second ex that i had these two beautiful boys with i had a conversation when i came out and what would happen was i would fly up to new york they lived in new york so i would fly up to new york every four to five weeks i would get on an airplane and stay up there for four to five days That's how my job allowed me to do that. Thank God. And they would spend the whole summers with me here. And then they would spend the whole Christmas holiday here. So they were down here in Florida quite a bit as well. So we felt, you know, these long stints of time made us feel more like a family instead of this fragmented every other weekend nonsense. Right. So it came time to tell them and reveal. So they're the first day they get to Florida I sit them down in the living room. We put their mom on the big screen on Skype and we start the reveal. They're sitting on the couch. I'm sitting on a recliner and there's Christine on the big screen. And I start telling them. And then my 11 year old at the time says, stop. So dad, you want to change into a girl? And I had been waiting since the day they were born for that question because i had been practicing it over and over and over again i think we all do we practice what are we going to say to our children our family whatever Mm, yeah and christine comes in and says wait a minute uh i'd like to handle this one can i can i field this one and i was like oh my god what is she gonna say well i'm the one that's been practicing this you know she's stealing my fire here so i said of course go ahead (laughs) so she gets on and and to her to her credit, she did a much better job than I ever could have done explaining this. She goes, Tyler, you have to understand something. I've known about dad for 11 years before you were even born. I knew, I knew everything about dad before that, those, that many years before you were born. And the thing you need to understand is that your dad, yeah, well, she's always been a girl. She just has boy parts. And I was like starting to cry because she gendered me correctly. She did everything beautifully. And, and I was like, wow, she just, 
she just really laid it on to him in a, in a, in a, in such a unique and eloquent way that I could have never, I had great words, mind you, <laughs> but they weren't that good. And she did this and Tyler looks at me and he starts welling up and his mom starts bawling mm -hmm. and I start bawling because of the way he's looking at me. And Matthew is sort of <laughs> over in the, in the corner, looking at everything, sort of taking it all in and Tyler stands up and he walks over to me, sits on my lap. And he gives me the biggest hug ever. And he says, do you see the way I'm hugging you right now? I said, yeah. He goes, that's the way I'm going to hug you forever and ever. I love you so much. And I'm bawling. I'm trying not to cry out over this because it's so emotional to me. It sounds like and a he, wonderful moment. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, I told you I was deaf when I was five, yeah. right? So I know some sign language. And, and when my children were very young, I taught them some sign language. So he, he backs his head away from me and he does the sign for pretty girl. Which is basically you take your hand in a fist with your thumb at the top and you rub from your ear down the side of your cheek to your chin. And then you take your thumb and place it on your chin, on, on the right hand side of your chin, and then bring your fingers in a circle around your face. Right. Yeah. And that becomes pretty girl. And that's what he did to me right then and there. And I'm just bawling and his mom is bawling and, and we're all crying like a bunch of babies. And then here comes Matthew walking over the, and he gives me the same hug. And this whole time I was like, you know, I, I am, you know, I did a, I did an interview with Von, Monica Vandermeer. She has this wonderful podcast as well. And, and, yeah, yeah. and she says, you know, it, I hope I'm allowed to say this word, I, you know, you can beep it out if you have no, to. Of course. I loved the way she said this. She goes, you are so fucking blessed. <laughs> you know what? I really am because most uh, what of a, us. What a moment. I mean, that's so, that's such a, a beautiful thing. You've, you've just said that. I mean, it's. We yeah. go through tragedy. You know, we lose our, our kids, our families, our moms, mm. our dads, our grandparents, our relatives, our friends. We, we have so much to lose with this. And here I was gaining yeah. even yeah. more love and understanding from people I was, you know, irrationally afraid were going to hate me. And so, you know, I, I'm blessed, you know, and I feel bad for anyone that has to go through the destructive turmoil that families can cause based on bias and misinformation. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, make my platform that way. And yeah, I mean, that, that moment when you, when, you, when you come out to your family and friends and things, I mean, that can be, you know, it can go one of two ways, you know. Oh, yeah. And yeah. in fact, I found it went many ways for me. And yeah. when I came out to all those people in, in Liberty, New York, the people that knew me, and I was very well known up there, you know, not not patting my shoulders, just I and I'm, I'm a gabber, as you can tell, we've been talking forever. <laughs> and but the thing is, is that they know me very well. And, and everyone that I talked to was were just like, I'm so happy for you. You deserve this. And, and I, I didn't lose any friends that I can remember uh, from, from doing this. And, and it's as far as my youngest son goes, they would always ask me, oh, I'm sorry, did you just say something? I missed something. No, I was just saying your whole family and friends, everybody was absolutely fine with this news. So yeah, let me tell you a quick just a quick one. Uh, let, let me let me tell you about my my six year old first, and okay. then I'm going to tell you about something tragic that happened. Um, 
my six-year-old, who was three at the time, I decided I'm not going to tell him anything. I'm just going to let him, you know, observe. And whatever he does, he does. And I remember we were in Publix at the supermarket. And we're waiting to get eggs. So there's a lot of people trying to get eggs that day. And he's sitting in the cart and he looks directly up at me and shouts out, Daddy? And I said, yes. Are you a boy and a girl? <laughs> I said, um, and everybody turns to look at me. And I'm sort of like, oh, this is interesting. I said, well, honey, what do you think? And he goes, I think you're a girl, but you're a daddy, so you're a boy too. So kind of both? I said, well, you know what, honey? What? Let's go with that. Yeah, if it works, let's go with it. And he hugs my arm right there. My arm was on the on the back of the car, and he hugs my arm, and he, he puts his cheek up to my arm. He goes, I love you so much. And what was amazing in that moment was that here's these six or seven people looking at me like, like I'm a, a, a screwball. Automatically, within an instant, they were emotionally invested in this moment where this little boy is saying, I love you so much. And that I answered it with, what do you think, honey? Yeah. And allowed him to have a voice. Yeah. And I think it was a lesson for, for those people that heard, you know, that sort of thing. But then you asked about family. I did lose some family. Um, there's been relatives of mine uh, across the country that have treated me wildly differently because they're very, very, they're very Catholic. Right. And for some reason, Catholics uh, don't, don't they do, seem yeah. to get it. They don't yeah. seem to get it. Uh, a lot of them. I don't want to say all because I have a lot of Catholic friends that absolutely get it. But these relatives have this weird archaic view of what, what, what things are and what they aren't. And these are my relatives that love to cherry pick the Bible and they don't follow half the stuff in the Bible, but they follow other stuff. And I said, can you please show me one place in the Bible? Just, just, I beg of you, show me one place in the Bible that it shows that I you know, being transgender is actually an abomination to God. If you remember that that first chapter piece that I read to you, yeah, I yeah. said I was disinvited from Christmas. Yeah. They sent me a crucifix and they sent me the prayer of St. Benedict, which is the prayer of, of exorcism. And they wanted me to repeat this several times over. They had already oh, wow. got a priest to come to my house uh, to perform. That's horrendous. You know, I, I mean, it's just, it's a slap in the face is what it is. And yeah. This didn't happen once. It happened three times. Um, you know, once is is pretty disgusting, uh, you know, and dehumanizing, but give me a break with three times, okay? And, you know, they would point to this one verse that said, a man shall not wear women's clothing and a woman should not wear man's men's clothing for it is detestable to God. And I'm like, listen, so-and-so, this is not about clothing. I could wear, I could wear a military uniform that a man wears and I'm still a woman. Yeah. It has nothing to do with clothing. You seem to be confusing me with, with a cross dresser and not just any cross dresser, but we're talking about people that fetishize and objectify women. Right. Cause we all know that there's people that identify as cross dressers in our community. Um, and they just haven't, painfully gotten to the point where they accept that I'm transgender. And in fact, I'm really not cross-dressing when you think about it. I'm cross-dressing when I wear a man's suit. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but there are some people out there that are, no, I'm a dude. I'm a guy. I go out on a weekend and try to fool people. You know, I think this past week, and I swear to God, I had this conversation less than a month ago. Uh, this past weekend, I went out and I actually fooled probably over a hundred people. And I'm like, you know, it's folks like yourself that give, give us a tragic life and why it's so dangerous for us because you're making the narrative that these people that hate us true, that we're just weekend warriors that want to do, that want to fool people. I don't want to fool people. I am who I am. I'm trying to be authentic. And you're sort of going the opposite direction with this. And I said, aunt so-and-so you are conflating me with someone that has some sort of sexual fetish. I don't have any sexual fetish. In fact, to be honest, you know, with the hormones I'm on, I'm actually asexual. You know, I, I, I'm not interested in anybody right now because of the hormones. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, don't, don't confuse me with those people. And, and being transgender has nothing to do with that verse. That verse was just some dude that, that wrote, you know, a, a writing at some point that got included somewhere in the Bible. And it was his observation of people doing this sort of stuff and he found it disgusting in his own mind. So he wrote it down and all of a sudden that became the word of God. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I think, you know, I think it's just silliness, but those are some of the tragic things that happened, you know, with my family. Um, I will never call you by your name. My name is of course, Amber Rose Washington, but my given name, and I'm not afraid to dead name myself was Edward Ambrose Washington. Edward, very English. I come from, uh, we come from England, actually. Dude. George Washington was actually my relative. Oh, really? Um, but I was related to his brother because George has no lineage because his children died by the age of 14. Um, and even his stepchildren from Martha died. But you know, I'm related to George through his brother. And my mom, her maiden name was Peggy O'Neill. Very Irish. So we come from County Cork, Ireland as well. And so when you look at my name, Edward, very, you know, sounds very English and, and, and very masculine. And so I always went by the name Eddie since I was little. By the time I was eight years old, I took that middle name of mine, Ambrose. And I, I, I just, so you, I did what I did with songwriting and I slowed it down. I want you to say my name and start slowing it down. Say Ambrose and start slowing it down. Go. So Ambrose. Ambrose. Um, now get it to the syllables. Yeah, Amber Rose. Yeah, Amber Rose. Amber yeah. Rose. Amber Rose. And Amber Rose. Yeah, that's, a, that's where that name came from. When I was when everybody asked me, interesting, well, where did you come up with that to, name? Yeah. I said it's always been my name. It was my middle name slowed down. Right. <laughs> so yeah, good choice. Great name. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but you know, I am. Um, I am happy that I have finally, you know, come into my own and yeah. I'm happy that I wrote the book. I'm happy that it's, it's so far. I'm, I'm enjoying some success with it in that. But there's, but, I mean, I've, I'm, I have the book open here on my Kindle and there's some of the chapter names you have there, the title of some of your chapters are very interesting. You know, I mean, I'll just read a few to you, you know, chapter one, switched at birth, losing my religion, which we spoke about. Um, a rose by any other name. Yeah. Prelude to a kiss. Yeah, that's about Aaron. Yeah. 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 
fail to assimilation. Sorry, how to successfully fail at assimilation. Yeah, yeah. A close encounter of the me kind. Hormones from Master Miracle. What happens in Vegas apparently ends up here. <laughs> there's Mom, a lot of interesting little yeah, stories. Yeah, there's some amazing yeah. titles here. Mum's Final Wish, Twain yeah. Flame, Spiritual Awakening, The Butterfly's First Flight, The Reveal, Stalled in Transition, Holy Legal Red Tape Batman. That sounds like an interesting one. Uh, Post Reveal Adventures, Karma, a dish best served with healthy side of irony, with the healthy side of irony. Stalled in Transition Part 2 and Takeaway. So there's some amazing title chapters there. Yeah, and it really covers from A to Z on, yeah. on a, a myriad of topics where, you know, wh when was the first time that I actually met an actual transgender or transsexual person, you know, like myself? What was, at what age did I do that? And how did that go for me? And it's a quite an interesting story um, in New Orleans of all places. Uh, that that happened you know the Vegas story is about a boyfriend that I had um and in a short a rather short love affair that I had there but a very interesting one um you know I don't I didn't want to write about mundane things so I, I I've had a lot of interesting experiences in my life um knock wood um but you know stalled in transition for example yeah what you don't know is that other than being born incongruent. And does anybody ever explain this the way I'm about to? I'm curious to see if anybody you've ever interviewed has explained it this way, because there's actually medical evidence that shows that in the first trimester, our bodies differentiate along with our reproductive organs. And, in this, and that's because of hormones you know, in the body and released from the mother. But in the second half of pregnancy, starting in the second trimester, your brain differentiates physically. The physical characteristics of your brain are then defined in that part of pregnancy. And for some tragic reason, a lot of people that are transgender have this, this thing where you reject those hormones at that time. Therefore, your brain does not differentiate yeah, so you, with your you, body, which is you know, where your body develops one way from. and your brain can develop another way. I mean, I guess. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Um, like the woman's brain in the cortical region uh, or the cortex is thicker and in a male it's thinner right so there's there's those two two things but so rather than me just being born incongruent i got the luxury of being born with mal-shaped eustachian tubes which is why i lost my hearing at five I, I ended up getting my hearing back along with perfect pitch maybe that was from the operation i don't know so do you think that's that's related to this development I don't know. That's inter that's an interesting thing because I'm a, what I'm about to tell you, you don't know about me yet, even in the pre-interview. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was also born with a congenital heart defect All right. well. that I didn't know about. And later in life, after I started transitioning, I ended up with a massive stroke and uh, I lost the left-hand side of my body. Um, but I, I made an, an, I made an amazing comeback and I, I, I uh, made a complete recovery from that, but I had to have three heart operations to fix the holes that I was born with in my heart. Incredible. And, and not only that, but at the age of 25, I was diagnosed with a rare blood cancer. 
So mm-hmm. I've been dealing with You've all really of these, been through it. all of these issues on top of everything else. Yeah. And yeah. it's just a lot to, to, to take in. So is it any wonder that I decided to just not be afraid and to go and pursue whoever I wanted to meet? You know, I've met people from, and, and, and got to escort people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and, uh, Justin Timberlake, you know, ate dinner with John Stewart, you know, from the John Stewart show, um, you know, uh, you know, just a smattering of, of interesting people that I got to know, uh, at least on a casual level. Uh, and, and I'm happy to be able to, to share some of these stories with people online, but it, it leads some the, me. Some of your stories are absolutely fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, yeah. they're just, eh, they're just, Great. They're just things in my history. So Colin yeah. Mockery, you were asking me earlier. Yeah, that, Colin um, Mockery, you have a story around so Colin. So Colin, a, is, is he Canadian or is he, was he Scottish? I can't remember. He's Canadian. Yeah, yeah. he's Canadian. And, and he's famous he, for whose line, it is, whose line is it anyway, isn't he? Yeah. Is that big over there? I don't know. Yeah, there's a, there's a UK version of it. I think yes, Colin there was is. involved with both the UK and the, I don't know if it was US or Canadian. That is version. correct. Yeah. He, he, he's, he, also, he he's a stand-up comedian, isn't he? Oh yes, he's the, funny. I think he. I think he started his, his uh, comedian career as in Second City in Toronto. I think it was. It, it, that's exactly. Yeah. Um, I used to go there when I lived in Toronto. I used to go there. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah very, I love Toronto. By yeah, the way, I, I just got to get that out there. I love Toronto, and yeah. his whole family is just such a beautiful family. He has he has this insatiable, this insatiable um, entertainment muscle in his body um where he's constantly driven to do new things uh with people and it doesn't matter what it is for him he just gets out there and does it and he's he's such a beautiful person him and his wife uh in particular i had a beautiful experience on kinley's 18th on, on her on her 28th birthday in 2018 kinley is their daughter okay so kinley's Colin's daughter yeah kinley is transgender though right so she's a transgender woman okay yeah and colin put on his facebook you know because we're, we're connected on facebook he puts out there this beautiful happy birthday and i'm so proud of you and here's my daughter kinley and he explains the whole thing and everybody like thousands of people are like congratulations we love you kinley and we wish you all the love in the world and blah 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 and then 10 of the most vicious, most vile human beings on the planet said some of the most disgusting things I've ever heard any human being say in my life, even to me. I mean, I've been, I've been, you know, abused verbally um, in several bad ways that we've not talked about, but I mean, social media, they were just terrible ripping her apart on her her 28th birthday. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, hell no, this ain't happening. So me and a few girls that I knew that were on there, I private message. I said, let's, let's, let's take care of this. So we started, we started by first reporting these people to Facebook Yep. and Facebook did take care of it, by the way. Which and is unusual. Not, yeah. Yeah. And not only did they take care of it, but we also got into it with these people. We just got in their faces and, you know, we started getting hundreds of love symbols on our, on our comments and stuff. And even by Colin himself was, you know, seeing what we were doing. So, I mean, the night- so, you know, some of the comments I've seen on Facebook and Twitter, you know, around transgender issues are absolutely awful. 
Oh, yeah, they're so really, terrible. They're yeah, so dehumanizing, right? Yeah, Aren't they? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, very much so. Yeah, you know, we all we so, all sort of end up in that cycle, don't don't we? We do. I mean, I've been through it myself many times. I mean, it's 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 never fun, is it? Quite horrendous. You know, I I had a case where I was, um, you know, I was in national newspapers around something that happened with a um, a holiday resort in the UK called. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but it's a place where you go and they have all these holiday holiday houses and you you, you kind of stay in a house for a weekend. Uh, it's called Centre Parks. It's quite a quite a famous um, place. But I'd, I'd sent them a letter uh, via email asking them, do they have any policies around transgender people using uh, changing rooms and facilities like that? And they basically came back to me saying that, yeah, um, transgender people can only use the bathroom of their choice once they've had surgery is, is their answer oh yeah so you know how do they a, know you had surgery i mean they're well, not they didn't. in your pants are they? <laughs> they didn't obviously and you know this went back and forth several times you know they're in clear breach of um you know uk laws and i eventually had to get uh, a barrister involved uh, who wrote a letter for me and you know as soon as that happened this company kind of backed down apologized and you know reversed what they said but the the reaction to all this because it all went kind of national in some some newspapers the reaction to this on twitter and a website called mumsnet and i'm sure you're aware of that one yes i am yeah i mean it was absolutely awful you know there's press people after me trying to get interviews with me all negative interviewers yeah, it was a terrible time. But um, oh my god! Yeah, it's but I mean, they did they did back down in the end, and you know, apologized. So something wow. came out of it. But yeah, I mean, I'm fully aware of you know what can happen on some of these social media sites. You know, yeah, it can be awful. He ended up doing a Colin ended up doing a a piece in People Magazine a few days later, and they asked him about that incident because it, it went viral. And he ends up in, I I end up watching, I end up reading People Magazine about a week later. And lo and behold, as I'm reading it, I start reading about the incident. And then I start seeing comments that myself and my girlfriends were leaving. So he, he, you know, he, he mentioned, he gave us a shout out for helping out with that. So I, I said, you know, thank you so much. No, thank yeah. you so much. And I said, you know, I'm writing this book. <laughs> so has has he read your book? Oh, of course he has. He goes, oh, yeah. all okay. right, all right, just shut up and give me the book. You know, <laughs> so I, I I gave him the book and I said, okay, Colin, here's the, you know, this is, you know, maybe give this a, a reading. And if you look at the back of the book, and if you look at page two of the book, he has this beautiful, beautiful review of the book. Um, he, he actually gave one of the longest reviews out of everybody in the book. Um, I mean, I have reviews from people that are celebrities in Hollywood. From, yeah, I've read some of them. Yeah, you do have yeah, a lot. There's a lot. You know, the, these are all friends of mine, and and they they all give wonderful reviews. But Colin was just such a heartfelt one, and and you know, they're just such great people for for putting the right message out there because he has influence. He has. There's a lot of people out there that know him. Yeah, he's very well known. The way he he approached the topic with with the finesse that he did and 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 the unapologetic nature of it all was 
was very inspiring to a lot of people. And I think, I think he's done a lot. Yeah, a true, a true because ally. of his daughter Kinley. You know. Yeah, I mean, we need more allies like Colin. You know. Yeah, we and we do. They're okay. they're they're growing in numbers, and you know, um, this week, um, you know, getting into what I'm going to be doing is I was picked up by Fox, NBC, and CBS this week, which was remarkable. I did not expect that. And um, so getting picked up by them gives you obviously a oh, lot I mean, of national it's giving, exposure. Yeah, it's you giving know? you a huge platform to you know tell your story, which is fantastic. Yeah, so that made it a lot easier for me. It was sort of one of those things like, hmm, how am I going to really kick off this national tour now that it's been canceled already because of covid yeah but once i start doing it what am i gonna you know how am i gonna get people to buy into me from the university of california or or anywhere else that i give a lecture you know and there you go now i've i I have npr national public radio i have fox i have nbc i have cbs i have a smattering of of um large podcasts and small podcasts and everything in between radio interviews so those are the things you put in your cv those are yeah. the things you put when you're going to say, Hey, listen, you know, you're going to pay me money to speak, you know, cause obviously I can't do it for free. I'd go bankrupt flying to these places. Yeah. Um, and, but the message is going to be simple. It's going to dismantle mythology and disinformation about who we are. And it's going to also advocate for transgender youth. It's going it's to show sorely, sorely needed. I'm, I'm actually in the process of partnering up with several uh, medical practitioners and large organizations around the country um, and abroad, by the way, because this is not just going to be a U.S.-based thing. I, I, have, I have full plans of being in the U.K. Okay. as well. And um, Well, yeah, you know, please, please involve us as much as you can. Because, oh, I would love to. Yeah. And it's going to be, it's, it's going to be really my passion is to pay it forward right we, yeah, yeah. you know i'm i'm an elder right i don't know yeah, how old you are but i'm, I'm older I'm than you old. are started, you yeah i was born in 65 okay yeah oh. i always say that i'm 49 plus two <laughs> <laughs> actually i'm 49 plus three who am i kidding wow um yeah oh you know marketing thing right so yeah. but i am uh i'm happy to 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 make the message stronger for them because there's a lot of people i don't know how it is over there but over here in the states We've been giving puberty blockers for 11 years now. And all of a sudden, because of that person, we're not going to talk about, you know, all of a sudden it's become a hot topic. Like that's child abuse. Why are you giving them blockers? We've had the same problem here. Listen, dumbass, you didn't even know about it for 11 years. And now this, this, this person that's been lying through his teeth to you starts sharing some disinformation about it. And all of a sudden you're up in arms about it. Yeah. No. I mean, Stay so the heck much, out of stuff you don't understand. <laughs> there's so much negativity in the UK press, which is quite right wing. You know, you don't have to. You, there's so many been so many kind of legal cases being taken forward, and th- these are all funded by, you know, the same teams of lawyers who all seem to be related to far right groups and religious conservative groups in the states. You know, it's it's shocking the stuff that's been going on recently. It's, it's sad because they call, you know, when they cite their religion, they call it the truth. Yeah. I'm like, whose truth? You, you yeah, can't well, prove that truth. the whole point. The first thing you learn, when, you know, because religion is learned, transgender is not learned, right? So right. religion's an ideology. Transgender is just part of the diverse human condition. Yeah. yeah. So you, when, you know, when you learn 
your religion, the very first thing they teach you is never question what we're about to tell you. Oh, you're not allowed to question that. doesn't allow you to question it. Yeah, there's no question allowed. That should be your first clue as to yeah. I'm about to be fed yeah. an entire bowl of bullshit and, <laughs> and I got to really think about this. I'm not saying don't follow your religion but at least do it responsibly. It's sort of like drinking, right? Drink do responsibly. It, do it respectfully of others, other yeah, people's the, identities. The disrespect yeah. and the judging. Yeah. God's the only one that can judge if, if that's even what happens. Yeah. You know, exactly. Personally, after all of the different Eastern philosophy, religions and everything else, I'm sort of the mindset that we're just on a, there is no place, heaven or hell. We, we just move to a different vibration. We are all light beings and we're energy. And we move to a different vibration. In other words, it could be also mentioned, it could be a different dimension. And if you think about heaven, heaven's really a different dimension as well. But the dimension I'm talking about isn't limiting. The the limiting factor with heaven in in Christianity um, and so on is, and even in the Muslim religion that I've studied quite a bit of, is that it's kind of a small place. And in, in, in Christianity in particular, you have to go and sort of knock on it and wait for Peter to open the door. And <laughs> he's going to like give you your whole life, your whole life. And, yeah, and that, that's going to be an interesting conversation. Yeah. So what I've already said is I said, listen, Pete, Pete, buddy. Oh my God. Shh. Quiet down. It's okay. You don't need to go through all this shit with me. <laughs> I heard through the grapevine that there's one hell of a party happening about 40 flights down yeah where's the elevator where, where how do i get there <laughs> <laughs> i mean i know that's facetious and it's kind no, of but it, it's you know it, it speaks of heresy and whatever but you know it sort of gives credence to the whole come on already please yeah. Yeah. do you honestly think that you know as small as we are that we really think we're that big we're very small when you look at the universe and and to think that you know everything revolves around this 450 square mile of dirt in the middle of the Middle East. It's, just, it's, <laughs> it's just silly. Of, it's kind of ridiculous when you look at it. Think of it like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this has been really fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, are you are you kind of involved in a lot of transgender support groups over there in the states? Um, Is that, I was. I know, I know you're trying to build a, a platform for diversity and things. Yeah. And you know, um, you're starting your podcast that you mentioned earlier. But I am involved. Are you trying to get involved in more kind of groups as well? I know well, we, because we met on a group that was run by Petra. And oh, yeah. Love the TGI Friday group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she's and, wonderful. And the, yeah. all of you are wonderful. That whole group, I just, it is a fantastic I'm group. smitten by everybody in that group. I think everyone there is just so wonderful. And yeah, and I know um, you've been talking to Billy as well, haven't you? In the, and Billy and I have been yeah. talking. Yeah, Billy is she's wonderful. Fantastic. She's, yeah. she's something else. And she is. She's so she good. was on your podcast. She uh, was I listened on a to podcast it. Uh, yeah. I think it was last night. I, I listened to the, the final remnants of what I didn't listen to earlier. And yeah. what a fascinating background she uh, has. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. And so, yes, I am involved in some support groups, but not actively going to them because of COVID. Um, some of them are doing remote meetings like Petra's but others have sort of there it's there's sort of a a, a disconnect happening because a lot of the people in some of the support groups I was going to are really marginalized people that don't have access to internet services and stuff so it becomes a little difficult to set these things up 
Um, and I feel bad for folks that are at a disadvantage in that regard. And quite honestly, I want to be involved in more of those groups where we can touch the lives of those people that have no, there's, there's no way they can get a job. Um, because been, they've been discriminated against and they've been put in a position where they're homeless. Uh, some of them are homeless and, you know, some of them are very young too. We're talking about kids that are 15 or 16 that mom or dad threw out of their house and now they're homeless. And there's this wonderful organization that I'm going to be speaking to in the next week called Covenant House. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but I've not heard of that one, but they're based in New York City. There are similar organizations in the UK that look after LGBT youth who have been, you know, kicked out of family homes. Yes, exactly. And that's yeah. really what it what, what that's all about. And so, you know, I'm I, I want to make my 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 at least my speaking platform about okay. that. My podcast is really not going to be about that so much. It's it's more of a diverse audience because in my podcast we're going to be talking about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. What's and, the name of your podcast going to be? The name of the podcast uh, that, you know, it took us a while, but we finally own the name now. Yay. Um, it's called The Journey Unscripted. Okay. With Amber Rose Washington. And, and you'll be interviewing, discussing, having conversations with various different people and their kind of life stories. Is that the intention? Yeah, it'll, there'll be shorter interviews. They won't be as long as this one. This, well, this one, is, this is yeah, sort of like almost, a mini series. You have to like yeah. devote. Yeah. devote a month of your life to listen to Try this it. you know i always say they're going to be an hour but they end up being an hour and a half or two hours <laughs> yeah i i'm so sorry i just no it's fine i mean it's talk. it's you know it's sunday afternoon what else have we got to do in the middle of COVID, <laughs> <you know? laughs> but yes we're going to have a smattering of, of people from all walks of life that have done incredible things with their life i have mm-hmm. this one yeah, that's amazing you know this one individual that actually gave up her career to go to peru she's a nurse she went to peru and she she decided to do this mission for six months in Peru at, at uh, Machu Picchu. Yeah. And she gave people for the very first time in their lives, medical treatment and medical evaluation and, and, and helped out with all of that with these doctors. And I thought that was just the most beautiful thing to, 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 to introduce different cultures of the world that don't have access to, to this sort of thing. Uh, and to just say, you know what, I'm going to take a break from my job. I'm comfortable enough where I am and I'm going to go and do something good for somebody else. And I thought that was inspiring in itself. So stories like that yeah. um, will, will be in there. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And when does that, when does that start? We're looking to have the first running podcast up and running, uh, I would say, the beginning of April. Okay. And as you know, it takes a while to set all this stuff up. Oh, yeah, it does. It's not, yeah, Uh, it's quite well. Have quite a bit of work to do with my publicist and and whatnot to get all of that squared away because we're talking about, you know, hitting it running instead of crawling. We sort of want to get, we want, you know, whether it works or not. Well, I mean, you know, my podcast, it's just me that's doing it. I don't have other people involved, really. So it's quite easy for me to do it. But, you know, if you're trying to hit a huge audience, I can imagine it's being, it's very, it could get very complicated and involved. It's difficult. And in yeah. fact, she said it may not even work for us, hon. Let's, let's just try well, it and you know, see what try, happens. See what happens. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, you can only try. And, exactly. um, yeah. So, 
So, so you know, I already own I already own all the the equipment, right? So yeah, she says exactly. you can do it from your house, from yeah. your recording studio. I said, yeah, I suppose so. And, well, and what am I going to do? I'm doing it from my dining room table. So. Oh, are you? <laughs> so you know that was the thing I started thinking about. Do I want to do audio and video, or just audio? And for now, well, I'm you can do both. Just... I mean, you could you could record with video and audio switched on, and then you know, for your podcast, you could do audio only. And then put the video on something like Facebook or I don't know, you know, I guess you can we're do this. We're going to do a small format, a short format. Yeah. Um, there's going to be different stories. In fact, each episode will have more than one story. And, yeah. and the way it'll work is it'll be short enough that it could actually be distributed to radio stations. Yeah. So uh, once I get that audience, so yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of, of, you know, when I talk to her. I said, let's think of a different idea for, for video. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm ready to do video on this, this podcast. I'd rather make this, you know, hit the, the radio waves and the podcast universe universe and whatnot first. And then maybe possibly we can do something else, you know, diversify my audience a little bit, you know, to get more. And maybe on one show, I'm talking about music industry stuff. Maybe on another show, it's, it's this, the, you know, the journey unscripted yeah. where we bring transgender people or people from the LGBTQ on. And because we all do, you know, pretty extraordinary yeah. things ourselves. We do. Uh, I, mean, I think it's, in, you know, it's also important to have like maybe some people who are just like unknown people, they're just kind of living their simple lives as well as, you know, some very well-known people. So, you know, you have a full range of guests and age groups and, you know. About whole, 80 to 90% of my, of my people being interviewed are just going to be just plain Jane, yeah, you know, ordinary just people. ordinary people. That's, that's why the, the tagline is ordinary people, you know, doing extraordinary things. Yeah. Uh, sounds, sounds like a very I, interesting project. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for coming on today. We've had a, a great conversation there. And we've, I think we've covered all the topics we set out to cover. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, uh, you know, if anybody uh, has not picked up my book and is listening to this, it's available on Amazon. And yeah, you have you a know, website the, too, don't you? Is it? And I have a um, website. AmberRoseWashington.com. Correct. Yeah. We yeah. both say it at the same time. I don't know if they heard that. <laughs> oh, you say it again. <laughs> uh amberrosewashington.com and the name of the book is hiding from myself and uh i had a wonderful time just a, well, yeah. just a pleasure talking to you vicky thank you so much for coming on it's a, a great privilege to have you on and i'm sure we'll get lots of listeners to this particular podcast so oh, that yeah. would be wonderful and you know uh to petra's group that i've already met hi y'all yeah. and yeah. i'll be talking to you soon i'm sure yeah absolutely Okay, Vicki, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.